Tuck it in the britches. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> still. All right. Okay, well, thanks for um, being here tonight. Sorry? Full house, yeah, pretty special. <laughs> All right, let's turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. I, um, I, the pastor asked me if I'd take this session. I thought, oh, we're not really empty nesters yet. Uh, we've still got one at home. <laughs> he went away for a while and then he came back, which we're actually blessed about. Um, but yeah, I, I, tonight be more a testimony night than me really teaching about being an empty nester and a testimony more on the lines of other people that have helped us as a family. Uh, empty nesters in our lives, you know, people that have helped us along our journey. And, uh, but before we get there, we'll uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll read this psalm and I'll make a few comments about it and then talk about some people that have been a real blessing to us as a family because they were in the empty nest season of their lives. And uh, although Rhonda and I, you know, are nearly empty nesters, um, we're kind of both working pretty, you know, full lives and haven't got to influence others like these ones I'll talk to you about tonight. But all right, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your goodness to us and just thank you for uh, your word that we can read it and the principles we can derive from it. We do want to thank you too for the seasons of life and uh, the fact that we were young, we grew, some of us got married, had children, children have left home and it's a new season, there's grandchildren coming along even, and we want to thank you for that. So we just pray that you'd help us, Lord, each one, as we um, enter different seasons in our lives, that you would help us to be prepared for it. And uh, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 127 is a great uh, psalm. Um, Except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be, be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Uh, you know, as we read this psalm, it, it can really apply to families, of course, and a family being, you know, pictured like a house. And except we, you know, the Lord build our families, uh, we mum and dad labour in vain that seek to build it, you know, seek to raise our children for the Lord. You know, we're told to train up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but really except the Lord do it through us, we labour in vain. 
if we try to do it just of our own strength and say, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to tick these boxes, you know, have a checklist. Uh, well, you might check some lists, but you probably won't really raise a family for the Lord because you're just trying to do it as, you know, doings, as doing something. And a lot of people do that, you know, sort of uh, think that if I do things in a certain structure, you know, they'll, my kids will never leave me. But uh, the Bible doesn't bear that out. You look at the families in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve, the first family, their first son was a murderer. And they, you know, they taught him what God had taught them after they fell, but he still murdered, didn't he? You know, so you can't sort of say, well, if I tick these boxes, you know, my kids will all, will never run away from the Lord or never forsake him. We're told to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but they get to an age, 18 plus, they leave home. You haven't got the, you know, oversight anymore. You've got to let them go. And I think, you know, uh, Rhonda and I, um, if I just give testimony to that, I think we learnt at an early age, and we really thank the Lord for that, that the minute they're born, the minute a child is born, you give it back to the Lord. Mm. And uh, we, we actually never took our kids to church and had them dedicated. You might say, oh, that's terrible, you didn't do that. Uh, we personally just got our kids the minute they were born you know, the first sort of half hour or hour afterwards and we were on our own and we prayed for them right then together and gave them back to the Lord straight away. We started with Rachel and we did it every one. I was there for the birth. I was privileged to be there for the birth of all our children and we gave them individually to the Lord right at the beginning. And I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking taking them to church and praying for them. I'm not knocking that at all. I'm just, that's what we did. So I'm just giving you, you know, personal testimony of, of what we did. So, like I said, you know, you can apply this, this um, uh, psalm to, you know, a house, a household. Uh, you can apply it to yourself individually. Except the Lord build our life, my life. I labour in vain to try and organise it myself, you know. We can apply it to the church. We can apply it to... Uh, even our, you know, our nation. But, of course, we're not going there tonight. But I think it's wonderful, you know, uh, that the aspects that you look at here in this, this, this uh, psalm, and, you know, you, you can spend time on all areas of it, you know. The Lord, in verse 1, uh, labour, in verse 2, you know. Uh, living is a labour, isn't it? Raising our children, raising a family is a labour. And it's, sometimes it's really hard. Uh, but then, you know, there's, there's rest when it comes to verse 2. Uh, it's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, you know, to fret all over it. You, you, we could look at the fretting side of, of, uh, of family life and, you know, think, well... If I rise up really early and if I stay up late and work on everything, well, I'll get there. No, actually, the Lord wants us to have sleep, rest. He doesn't want us to fret from daylight to dark. He wants us to actually rest in him, 
And that's an, you know, another subject, of course, but you, know, you could apply that to, to uh, raising a, a family. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. What a blessing this is, you know, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man. And then happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. When, when Rhonda and I got married, I'll tell a story on myself, but um, I, I don't know, did we have actually talk about how many children we were going to have before we got married? Did we? Would we? No. You were suckered in before we sort of got there. But I had in my head that I probably, I think, I really I didn't even want children for a start. And, uh, but if I was to have children, well, I certainly wasn't to have any more than two. And it, in fact, it would be better if I could only have 1.87 children. Now you say, well, you laugh at that, but I was taught that at school. I was taught that it was irresponsible to have any more than average of one point, I think it was eight seven or 1.8 or 1.7, I don't care, it doesn't matter, <laughs> it's stupidity. But that's what I was taught at school, you know, I was taught a lot of communist philosophy as well and uh, you, you, you just sort of take it in as a young person at school and uh, evidently I went home one day and, or after my one of my, my second eldest brother had three children and I said to him, you're irresponsible, you know, because we should only have 1.87 children per family. And he looked at me and he said, well, hey, you got to work that out, boy. <laughs> and he had three children by this time and he just sort of looked at me and shook his head and Anyway, you can imagine when after we crossed the two children barrier and headed to having Lydia, our third child, well, what, what I got from my brother, you know. And he constantly reminds me whenever I see him now, he said, how's my irresponsible brother going? <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I look back now and I just thank the Lord that the Lord changed my thinking as we, uh, well, first we got married. But even, even though I was saved when we got married, it was still so stuck in my psyche that I was definitely not going to have any more than two children. And, uh, and, and then, well, Lydia came along after Rachel and Matthew and, and then Joshua and then Hannah and then Caleb and then Aaron. And, uh, you know, bless the Lord, he gave us seven I, you know, when it says here in this, this, uh, this passage, you know, happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. There's a lot of debate on how big is a quiver. Well, I think it's just whatever quiver the Lord gives you. If he gives you two and you're happy with two and you, that's what you can carry, then carry a two quiver, <laughs> you know, or one, or, you know, and sometimes there's actually none, you know, sometimes there's none for somebody. And, uh, but that's what I want to sort of get to tonight, that even if there's none, you can still be a great blessing to somebody else. You can be a great help to another family that has children and you can become like an uncle or an auntie, a grandma or a grandpa uh, to another family. So, uh, you know, we're blessed to have a quiver of seven 
you know, and you could say, well, that's the perfect family. I don't think that's the case, you know. Whatever the Lord gives you and you can carry, you know, you can, you can hold that quiver, go for it, you know. Uh, praise the Lord for it. All right. We, Rhonda and I were really, uh, uh, again, blessed in our early days of marriage in that we were in church in uh, uh, Adelaide for a while and then a church in Bendigo in uh, Victoria. And then when I went to Bible college in, in Melbourne, we attended a church at Ringwood there. And we were blessed in all those three churches to, to have family seminars in, in our churches. And, and we look back and thank the Lord for, you know, a lot of the stuff that we were taught in family seminars. Some of, you know, focus on the family stuff. And uh, even though, you know, doctrinally we don't sit with them totally, there's, they, have, they have principles out of the Word of God that are greatly helpful to us. And they helped us. And, and one particularly was, uh, we, we were taught before we had children even, that, okay, you, you've got seasons of life. As you have children and then while you've got children and you're raising them, we were taught particularly to work on your own relationship because for the day when your children aren't there. So many marriages break down at the point of the children all leaving home and suddenly mum and dad look at each other and say, who are you? You know, kind of forgotten to keep that relationship going. And, and it was the children that held us together sort of thing. And so, you know, Rhonda and I have tried to keep some... Um, uh, uh, habits alive that we developed while the children were there. You know, we'd always uh, at uh, mealtime, um, you know, read Bible and pray with the kids. And, and I remember particularly out at Rockwell when we were out there for eight years, we, uh, rather than just lecturing the kids, you know, reading Bible and lecturing them, we made it a, uh, a, a habit that they had to ask us a question about what we were reading. And that, in, that engaged a lot of uh, discussion. And they actually, each of the kids, so when we had seven kids, even the, the little fellas, you know, we tried to encourage them to think about a question out of the passage that we read. And they come up with some weird stuff. <laughs> but it gave opportunity then to converse with them and to get them thinking and uh, our second our second youngest now, even though he, he's not walking with the Lord now, but he, st he still, when he comes home and talks to us, he said, I still remember those times when, you know, you used to read Bible to us and we had to think of questions. And he said, I learnt more in those times than I ever learnt going to church. And uh, so it's still there. You know, we raised him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He's older than... Now our relationship with him has changed. Uh, it's more now of a mentor relationship, you know, a friend relationship. We, we desperately try and keep the doors open and, and, you know, he comes home to see us. He still wants to come and see mum and dad. So we really, we really praise the Lord for that and sort of work on that. But, it, you know, gone are the days where we can just tell them what to do. Um, it, your relationship changes as your kids get from eight, you know, 18 years upwards 
It has to change from being a, uh, an instructor to being a mentor. The other day, you know, Aaron was working with me. I think it was here. He came and worked with me here and, and uh, at the school. And uh, a bit after oh, two o'clock, he said, Dad, I don't actually want to keep doing any. I said, well, you don't have to. You're a volunteer. He said, really? You're my dad. I can sort of hear your voice, you know, in my ear like, you know, you can't be lazy. I said, well, son, I taught you that as, we, as you grew up. But now you come, okay, I'm working here as the maintenance man, but if you come and help me, you're a volunteer. I said, you can leave me. You don't have to sort of, there's no, you know, no pressure for you to stay and work with dad anymore. You've got to work things out for yourself. You know, you're on your own now. I appreciate you coming and working with me, but you're a volunteer. You're allowed to walk away from me right now. And so we got that, you know, try and keep that converse open that we can talk openly about things like that. All right. I said I'd talk about some folks that really helped us. When we, sh when we shifted to Gladstone and uh, I was pastor there for seven years and uh, uh, Sister Lydia asked me before, where is she? Up the back. Sister, Sister uh, Holowaddy asked me when we were in Gladstone, it was from about 88 through to 95. And uh, uh, when, we, when we went there to take up the pastorate, you know, we were leaving Melbourne and Rhonda's parents were in Bendigo. My parents were in Kangaroo Island, South Australia. So we were shifting 2,000 kilometres away from both of our sets of families. And Rhonda particularly prayed and said, Lord, we're not going to be near our families. So can you provide for our children what they need in father and mother figures? Well, we've got, sorry, we've got that. But grandpa and grandma figures and uncle and auntie figures because all, all of my, my uh, brothers and sisters are Tasmania, Kangaroo Island. Her, her uh, siblings are all over the place. And uh, so there weren't going to be any close, you know, uncles and aunties for them. And God gave us people in the church, particularly there in Gladstone, that were grandma and grandpas. The first year we were there as, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a new pastor and his wife and family. So we had two children. We had three by then, by that Christmas, didn't we? Lydia was just a newborn baby. And an uh, elderly couple in the church uh, took us home for Christmas lunch that day. And that was a great blessing, you know, Alan and Melba Sears. They were like, you know, grandma and grandpa for a period. And uh, we remember that fondly. But another couple in the church, uh, Ray and Helen Robson, they, became, they were uncle and auntie to our kids growing up. And uh, I remember Ray, you know, coming and picking up Matthew as a, oh, before he went to school even. He'd pick, at, pick Matthew up from home and say, well, I'm going up the Boyne Valley today to pick up a load of hay or something. Can I take Matthew? Sure. So he was always Uncle Ray to our kids as they, as they grew up. And Helen was auntie, Auntie Helen. And uh, we, they still call him Uncle Ray and Auntie Helen, even the younger ones, because they, they heard the others talk about him all the time. And uh, so they've been a, a real blessing in our lives. Uh, another lady, an elderly lady who'd lost her husband before we came along, but uh, 
Our kids were close to her daughter's children. Her daughter had three children and our, our first three children were similar ages, weren't they? Uh, to the, to uh, her grandchildren. And so we'd often go to her place. She had a swimming pool. We didn't have a swimming pool. And Nanny Catalis, she became uh, to our kids. And uh, so you know, and she was an empty nester. The, the Searses were empty nesters. Ray and Helen Robson, now this is an interesting story. Ray and Helen Robson had two children. And they, they were born when Helen was only 19 and 20. And so they became empty nesters at the age of 40 because their kids left home that early. Now, Rhonda often says to me, wouldn't it have been boring if we only had two kids? Because uh, Rhonda was about 25 when we had, uh, 23 when we had Rachel, and Matthew was born two years later, so Rhonda was 25. Our kids would have been left when we were, you know, 42 or 3. And, and she often says to me, how boring would our life have been if we'd have only had two? Thank God he gave us more, you know. So, uh, yeah, we personally have been blessed to have a, a big family. But then where we've been, we've had, you know, grand, grand, grandpas and, and grandma um, figures for our kids and uncle and auntie figures. When we, when we left Gladstone and we went bush, you know, I uh, went back shearing and then, we, you know, I became a, uh, a manager of a sheep station out the backside of Cunnamulla. And it was three hours for us to drive to Burke then to go to church. We didn't do that for too long, but we did do it for a while. We were south of the border. That was in Queensland, just over the border. Before I took on the managing job of that station, uh, we were south of the border uh, on a property called Inkerman Downs. And we used to travel pretty well every Sunday into Burke, and it was two hours, two hours in and two hours back. And a family in, in Burke befriended us. And the kids again, uh, the, the Buster family, the kids again called uh, Jack Buster, Grandpa, Grandpa Jack. And I think they called him Mrs. Buster. They didn't really call her Grandma, did they? They did call her Grandma. Anyway, we would often be on a Sunday because they only had church in the morning, but um, we would often be at the Busters for the rest of the day. And uh, their children also, which were, you know, our ages, uh, our kids called them uncles and aunties, Uncle Sam and uh, Auntie Michelle, Uncle Dan and, and, and Auntie Jenny. And so we were really blessed there. Another lady in the church there in, in Burke, uh, Granny Mac, they called her. And when Rachel wanted to uh, uh, earn some money, uh, you know, we homeschooled, of course, but... Um, she was wanting to earn some money out just before she was out, got her own license. But um, uh, the Mansells in Burke had quite a, a fruit growing enterprise at the time. And they said, look, Rachel can come and work at the, you know, the packing shed anytime she likes. But the problem is you'll have to find somewhere for her to stay. Well, Granny Mac put her hand up straight away. And she said, well, Rachel can come and stay with me. And she was... The, the McIntosh family were an interesting family. There was, there was three little houses on their property. Uh, the main house where mum and dad lived and uh, one that they had lived in and some of their kids sort of slept in there. And then Granny Mac had her own little house. 
And, uh, and she put up her hand and said, I'll look after Rachel. Well, she was a blessing, you know. Rachel was able to stay there with her for, I don't know how many weeks it was. Three months. And, uh, and she could ride the back tracks through to this packing shed and then back again. So, she, you know, we got her a motorbike that used to break down all the time. But, uh, she'd sort of make her way through the back tracks to the packing shed and then back to Granny Max. And, and uh, she's still got a close relationship with Granny Mac. Only a few years ago she was married, but she went and found her at, she's living at Yakandanda at the time, down near Albury Wodonga. And she said, I've got to take my husband to meet Granny Mac. That's how much of an influence Granny Mac had on Rachel's life. So we really thank the Lord for, uh, for these ones that have been real um, influences in our kids' life. And then lastly, one other couple that have really been a blessing to our children and to us, you know, have really helped us in the raising of our kids is uh, Kevin and Pat Milson from Ingham. When I was uh, pastoring, we used to take the kids from Gladstone up to Ingham to camps. And uh, we didn't have our own camp at the time at Gladstone. And so often Ray and I had put half a dozen kids in a couple of minivans or more and, and drive up to Ingham, which was seven, 800 k's from Gladstone. And uh, I, I remember I spoke there one year at camp, you know, as one of the main speakers. But every, every night at camp, this, this elderly gentleman, or he wasn't elderly, he would have been in his uh, 40s to 50s at the time, Kevin and Pat. <laughs> uh, we were 20. So how old were they? Anyway, say they were in their 40s at the time. And they would come out to camp and, and you know, heard me speak and so forth. So we sort of got to know them just, you know, just from, you know, face to face sort of thing, but not closely. When I resigned from the pastorate, Kevin and Pat got to the point of, of uh, retiring and uh, they started travelling and they used to go outback a lot and they wondered whatever happened to the Davises. What happened to, you know, Pastor Davis, Brother Robin? And uh, it took them ages, but they chased us down. And I don't know how long they worked on it, for years, a few years. And uh, out of the blue one day, I got a phone call. We were living at Rockwell, and out of the blue, I got this phone call. Uh, Robin, I said, yeah. He said, you probably don't remember me, but uh, I met you at Ingham. And I said, well, who, you, who are you? He said, Kevin Milson. I said, I remember Kevin Milson. He said, well, we're in such and such, and I can't remember where they were. They were in Burke or somewhere. And uh, can we come and see you? And we were at the back of nowhere. Like it was three hours from Burke, and we were 80 k's off the bitumen. When John Buster bought this station, he said to me, Would you manage, will you manage it for me? And at the time, I, you know, I, we still worship the Lord. We'd still go to church in Burke, but I was kind of running away, you know. I was kind of wanting to hide. And, and uh, when John offered us the job of managing this sheep station, I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. 
He said, it's a long way off the highway. It's 80 k's off the highway. I said, all the better. He said, it's pretty isolated. I said, that's great. He said, I have to take you there and show you. He said, I said, you don't need to. I've already been there. I've shorn there. I'd been there as a shearer. He said, well, I've got to take your wife there and show her. I said, it'll be all right. No, no, I've got to take her. Anyway, we went and we, we drove out there with him and uh, we had a look at the property and had a look at the house and, and Rhonda said, it's fine. You know, we'll manage here. He said, no, it's not big enough. And he spent 60000 on adding two extra rooms onto this house for us and built a, a, a school room and, a, and a, uh, a, a bedroom for us with an ensuite. It was unbelievable, you know, and we were there for eight years. I tell you what, the Lord looks after his people, even when they're running away sometimes. <laughs> and uh, we were amazingly blessed and provided for by um, uh, uh, John Buster that bought that property. And uh, anyway, to the, to the Milsons, the Milsons said, can we come and see you? I said, well, we're a long way off the road. He said, we don't mind, don't worry us. And they came out and found us. And then they came back every couple of years and spent time with us. Well, they got alongside of our kids. It's a, a bit of a sad story in a sense. They had two children of their own, but neither of their children have had children, so they've got no grandchildren. And uh, they adopted our kids as grandchildren. And because our kids ask, can we call you grandpa? Can we call you grandma? You, sure you can. Well, they really took it seriously. They'd sit our kids down and spend time, you know, uh, teaching them a budget, saying, you want to you write down everything you spend, you, everything you buy, and write down exactly how much and so forth. And, and, and uh, Kevin Milson really took it seriously. And they still pray for our kids now, as we do for theirs. But uh, I just wanted to share those things, those with you, that, you know, even if perhaps, you know, you haven't got children or you're, you're not quite an empty nester or you think about how you can perhaps help somebody else. Um, you know, it, it, it's a season of life. And, uh, you know, look at the seasons of life and think, well, okay, I can do certain things now, but I can't do others. But don't fret about that. Just accept the seasons of life as they are, where you're at. And, uh, but then be ready to move into the next one when it comes. And like I said about, um, you know, preparing for when you don't have kids, that's really important you know, that you develop relationship with your own spouse so that you can handle the next. Rhonda and I were just talking last night about a particular couple that, that we know and they're at the point of being housebound. Can't go out anymore. Sickness has got them housebound, totally housebound. Their children have grown up but their children visit them. And so they've said, Lord, what would you have us to do now? that we're in this stage of life and, you know, death is coming. And the Lord showed them and said, well, okay, you can't go out, can't even go to church, but you can pray. And they as a couple have worked out sort of the schedule of the day, okay? After breakfast, we'll spend an hour together praying for missionaries. After lunch, 
we could spend another hour together. And they do it together. You might be able to not do it like that. Might be just an individual. But um, you can actually sort of plan, plan. That's your ministry. And how much that does, you know, in the kingdom of God, well, we can't measure it now, can we? But God sure does. God sure does. And he keeps tally and we can give it all to him. So. so we're at a certain time in our lives, but you're in a certain time of your lives. Got young children now. Bless the Lord for it. You know, smell the roses while you can. Enjoy the time that you're at. And the roses won't always be blooming, but there's another season and just go with it. Go with it. Go with it. Ask the Lord. I don't think you can go wrong at every stage you can say, Lord, what would you have me to do? That's a good prayer to pray. It can be a daily prayer. It can be a yearly prayer. Lord, what would you have me to do this year? And, you know, planning for the future or whatever. So, all right, I'll leave that with you. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we just want to thank you for your good hand upon us again and help us, Lord, each one at the stage of life that we're at to just uh, give it to you. To not to fret, as the psalm says, but uh, not to sort of rise up early and stay up late and fret about everything, but to give it to you consciously, 